From Kindred Church, your inclusive church family. This podcast is a collection of sermons from our weekly worship services in Durham, North Carolina. Whatever your background is, wherever you are on your faith journey, we hope this message helps you take your next steps in response to God's unconditional love. Well, hello and welcome to Kindred Church. If we've not met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And if this is your first time to worship with us, we're especially glad that you have tuned in. Uh, I apologize in advance for my voice. I've currently got a sinus infection and it's causing some laryngitis uh, as well. But uh, hopefully the sermon will be intelligible and I won't be uh, coughing too terribly much uh, throughout the recording. Um, Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 28. And we're looking at verses 1 through 10. And it says this. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away, and he sat on it. Now his face was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came and they grabbed his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee and they will see me there. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today I want to talk about something that we do here at Kindred Church, and I want to say a word about why we do it. And this is something that some of you may not even really notice, uh, but to others of you, it might seem like a pretty big deal. And this is something that some of you may not think twice about, but but others of you might have a whole lot of questions uh, about. And what I mean is that at Kindred Church, we fully include women in the life of our church, And we fully include women in the leadership of our church. And we value the role of women in leadership. In fact, we value the role of women in ordained leadership. That is, female pastors. Um, Some of you know that we are part of the United Methodist denomination. And our denomination has been proudly ordaining female pastors for many, many decades at this point. Uh, We don't have any um, female pastors on, on staff at Kindred currently. But that's simply because I'm the only pastor at at Kindred currently, and I just happen to be a dude. Um, But as many of you know, uh, our mother church, University United Methodist, uh, for many, many decades has almost always had at least one female pastor on staff, including at times uh, female senior pastors. Um, Several weeks ago, we had Pastor Toby to to come in and preach for us. She's the pastor of missions at University UMC, and uh, she is a she. And if you hang around Kindred Church specifically for, for much time, uh, you'll often hear women helping to, to preach, to, to teach, to, to lead worship in, in a variety uh, of ways. We, we try to be intentional about that, and we're so grateful for uh, talented people like Minoka and Ty and, and Candace and, and others who, who contribute in this way. Um, but we don't just empower women for leadership in worship, but we encourage women to be in leadership 
in, in all kinds of other ways in our church uh, as well. In fact, at Kindred right now, uh, women are, are probably overrepresented in leadership roles, and uh, we, we may have room actually to, to make sure that we have men properly represented in, in leadership uh, roles, but, but we consider that to be uh, a very good thing. So there's just, there's no role within our church that's off limits to women. Now, uh, some of you are like me, and you're coming from a church background where in your experience, that's always been the case. You've always been part of a church that has female pastors, or at least is, is open to, to female uh, leadership. And if that's you, you may be thinking like, why are we even talking about this? You know, like what century are we in? Are we like Puritans on the Mayflower? I mean, why does any of this need any justification? Of course, women can be pastors and preachers and, and lead and, and things like that. Uh, in fact, some of you may even be feeling a Offended. Like, you know, we're not having a sermon on why men can be fully included in, in the church. What the heck? You know, if that's you, I resonate with that. I, I really do. I've, I've been blessed that in, in almost all of my life, I've been part of churches where uh, women are, are empowered to, to lead. However, uh, others of you may be coming from a, a very different background, and you may have had a very different experience. For some of you, Kindred may be the church, first church that you've been a part of that does empower women in leadership roles and, and pastoral roles uh, as well. Uh, I'll give you an example of this that kind of hits close to home for me. Uh, many of you know Candace Florian, who's on our staff now, uh, and Candace has shared the story with me. She's given me permission to, to share it with y'all that uh, as she was growing up in church, um, in, in her early years, in, in childhood, she started to experience this call to be a preacher. And as she started to articulate that, that call, she was very quickly told that she could not be a preacher. Uh, and it wasn't because people felt like she wasn't gifted for it. And it wasn't because people felt like she was just called to something else. Instead, she was told that she couldn't be a preacher simply because she was a girl. And you can imagine how painful that experience was for her. Uh, but if, if that's the kind of background that, that you're coming from, uh, you may have a lot of questions like, why do we fully include women at, at Kindred Church, uh, especially when so many other churches don't? Uh, and I think it's, it's important to note that um, we're still in the minority on this. I mean, among churches around the country, among churches around the world, uh, the majority of churches still do place some restrictions on the roles that women can play, at least to, to some degree. And those churches uh, would say that Scripture's on their side, and they would point to certain verses, and they would point to certain passages that, that seem to support the restriction of women. Now, before I go any further with this, uh, let me just say, I'm not here to throw shade at other churches today, um, and, and my goal with this sermon is not to equip you to, to go out and, and fight with other types of Christians uh, about this, at least uh, not in ways that are disrespectful or, or unloving. Uh, the last thing the world needs is more people hating each other, and certainly the world does, does not need more Christians hating each other. So we can disagree and disagree passionately uh, while still being loving and respectful, uh, and that's what Jesus calls us to do. Uh, but... <clears throat> the, the churches who see it differently than we do, uh, they would say that at Kindred Church, um, by empowering women in, in leadership roles as we do, that we've actually gotten away from the example of Scripture and the teaching uh, of, of Scripture. And they would say that we've adapted ourselves to changes in modern society and that we've chosen to follow culture over the authority of Scripture. And so that leaves us with some important questions. Uh, namely, is that true? Are we unbiblical in the ways that we allow women and encourage women to, to lead? Um, are we more committed to being in line with culture than we are to, to Scripture? Um, th these are important questions for us to address. And so for all of these reasons, <clears throat> for all of these reasons, even though I know that for many of us, 
It may be easy to take it for granted that we have women in, in leadership and, and even uh, preaching and, and pastoral roles uh, around here. Uh, I, I still do think that it's worth exploring this and, and, and explaining uh, why we fully include women in the life and the leadership of our church. And here's why I think today is a good day to, to talk about this. Um, as many of you know, we're currently in a sermon series right now called Inclusive Like Jesus. Inclusive Like Jesus. And as we've said over the past couple of weeks, the main message of this series, the bottom line for this whole series, is that at Kindred Church, we talk a lot about being inclusive. Um, and the reason for that is Jesus. You know, we're inclusive because of Jesus. We're simply trying to be inclusive in the way of Jesus. It's not that we're pushing some partisan political agenda. We're not trying to go along with culture. We're not inclusive because we think it's cool. We're trying to be inclusive because of Jesus and in the way of Jesus. And what I want us to see today <clears throat> is that at Kindred Church, we include women because Jesus includes women. And as we're going to see here in a minute, Jesus includes women in radical ways. Jesus empowers women in in radical ways. And for that reason, uh, from our perspective, uh, we are not being unbiblical in the ways that we empower women, uh, but we're doing exactly what scripture leads us to do. And we believe that we're better for it, and we, we believe that we're a stronger community uh, for that as well. Now, in a moment, uh, I want us to, to jump back to the, the first century for a minute and, and watch how Jesus engaged with his culture uh, around the, the status and, and dignity of women. Um, but first, before we jump back to the first century, uh, let's talk about the 21st century right here, right now for a, a minute. And I want to share a few statistics with you. Um, first, did you know that um, according to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2020, uh, they found that uh, full-time female employees made uh, on average about 17% less than full-time male employees. And did you know that back in 2017, not so long ago, uh, the Pew Research Center found that 42% of American women had reported experiencing gender discrimination in their workplace. That same 2017 study also found that uh, women, mothers who took maternity leave were about twice as likely uh, as, as uh, men who took paternity leave, there were women, mothers, were, were about twice as likely to say that their leave negatively impacted their career. Now, I could share other similar kinds of, of statistics with you, uh, but what I'm getting at is that clearly in our society, there's a discrepancy, even still today, there's a discrepancy between the way men are treated and the way that women are treated. And we could argue about all the different kind of social factors driving those inequalities. And we could argue about the, the best way to, to solve the, these inequalities. But I think one thing that most of us would agree with is that, uh, that that's not good. These discrepancies, these, these inequalities uh, are bad because I think most of us kind of take it as a self-evident truth that women are equal right? And therefore, women deserve to be treated equally. They deserve equal rights and, and equal protections uh, as, as well. For, for us, that's self-evident that there's no why behind that. It's, it's just plain true. Uh, but having said that, what we know is that around the world, there are other cultures. And even within our own society, clearly, that there are, there are cultures uh, that, that don't take it for granted that women are equal, not even, not even in theory. And certainly in the past, there have been many, many cultures where it absolutely was not taken for granted that women were equal at all. 
And that was certainly the case back in the first century in the world that Jesus stepped into. So now let's jump back to the first century uh, for a minute. I want to try to uh, paint a little bit of the, the picture of, of how women were viewed and, and how women were treated back then, because that's important for us to see how Jesus interacted with the world that he stepped into. Uh, so back in the first century, um, remember, there, there were no such thing as human rights. Like that concept did not exist at all. And uh, nobody, true, like really nobody was advocating for the equality of women. That was just pretty much inconceivable among most of the people's worldview at that time. Uh, in the society that Jesus stepped into, women at best were considered second-class citizens. And, and here's why. Uh, in most cases, women were considered to be like legal property. You know, they were the legal property of their father until they got married, at which point they became the legal property of their husband. And as a result of that, women lacked a lot of the legal protections that men had. For example, women were often not allowed to testify in court because their testimony was just considered inherently unreliable. Uh, also, women had very, very limited uh, roles in public spaces. Uh, the, the woman's kind of sphere was, was expected to be in the home. And so when women were in public spaces, they were generally expected to be silent. Uh, they were expected to be as, as pretty much invisible as possible. And they were certainly expected not to interact or, or address men in public spaces. All of that was off limits and, and out of bounds. And at this time, um, on kind of a biological level, uh, many people just considered it kind of a biological fact that women are inferior to men. Uh, influential philosophers like Aristotle, for example, had argued that a woman is essentially a defective version of uh, a man. Now, uh, I could say more about all of this. I don't want to make uh, too many of you angry. Remember, I'm just the messenger. Uh, but, but it's important for us to remember, that's how it was. That's the society. That's the culture that Jesus stepped into. And what's important for us to pay attention to is how did Jesus respond to that? Did Jesus endorse that society's treatment of women or did he challenge it? Did Jesus accept these restrictions on the roles of women or did he empower women in new ways? Well, what we see um, very quickly as we start to, to follow Jesus through his, through his ministry as it's described to us in scripture, what we see very early on is that apparently Jesus is not okay with the way that that society was treating women. Jesus is not down with this uh, at all. And we, we see this in several different ways. Uh, a lot of Jesus' teaching is uh, addressed to increasing the, the status, elevating the status of women and, and increasing protections for women within that society. Uh, but, but even more than his teaching, we, we look at Jesus' example. And we see Jesus from, from his very, very early days in, in his ministry, uh, including and empowering women within his movement in some ways that are really radical and in some ways that are extremely countercultural. Uh, one example of this is that we know that as Jesus was calling his disciples, as Jesus was gathering his, his followers, uh, Jesus called women in addition to men. You know, a lot of times we keep the focus on the male disciples. They were female disciples as well. And we know that they followed Jesus. They traveled around with the male disciples as well. And they played a key role in Jesus's ministry. Uh, we know about women like Mary Magdalene. We know about women like Joanna and Susanna. If you want to read more about them, check out Luke chapter 8. Um, so so that's all of that was, was radically countercultural. Um, another thing that we see Jesus doing 
is that when Jesus is uh, teaching in public spaces, uh, Jesus encourages women to, to join the men in sitting at his feet and, and learning from him. And that was radically countercultural uh, as well. At that time, for the most part, rabbis and, and teachers uh, who were in religious roles kind of similar to, to Jesus, uh, they would address only the, the men. But in places like Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus inviting and even encouraging women uh, to, to sit at his feet. And he invests in them and he pours in them along with his male disciples uh, as well. Again, radically countercultural for this time. There are other examples as well. Uh, but to me, and, and where I want to spend a, a few minutes with you today, uh, to me, one of the most powerful examples of Jesus empowering women comes in the Easter story. The Easter story. Now, even if you're uh, very new to church, I imagine that you have at least some familiarity with the, the story of Easter, and that's because this is the foundational story of our entire faith. Like, it's not really an exaggeration to say that uh, Easter is, is the most important story in the entire Bible, because without Easter, the whole Christian faith just kind of starts to, to fall apart. Without Easter, you and I never would have heard of Jesus, and we certainly wouldn't be worshiping Him. And what we see is, as we look closely at this story is that at the heart of this story, that is at the heart of the Christian faith, we see women being empowered in a very countercultural and, and radical way. So let's look at the story, and I especially want to pay attention to how Matthew tells us the story. This is the passage that we read a few minutes ago. Um, it starts out. Early Sunday morning, that, that very first Easter, of course, nobody knows it's Easter yet. They just think it's Sunday morning. And who goes to the tomb where Jesus' body was? Was it the men? No. The male disciples, they're nowhere to be found. They're hiding out. They're scared of the authorities or, or whatever. Uh, it's the, the women who go to the tomb. And the way Matthew tells it, there's two women. There's Mary Magdalene and what he calls the other Mary. And we don't exactly know who that refers to because there's a whole bunch of Marys in the New Testament. It's hard to keep track of which one is which sometimes. Uh, some scholars think that this is actually uh, Jesus' aunt, which is sort of interesting to think about. We don't know that for, for sure. Uh, but regardless, these two Marys, these two women, they go to the tomb. And when we get there, uh, when they get there, we see that they have this encounter with an angel. And this is hard for us to imagine, right? Because I've never seen an angel. I'm guessing you've never seen an angel either. Um, so what does this look like? We don't really know exactly. But nevertheless, the angel tells them that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And sure enough, they look in the tomb and, and the body is gone. Um, now, a lot of times... We kind, of, we kind of get so fixated on the mystery of the resurrection and the things like the angels and, and all of this, uh, we miss what happens next. But I don't want us to miss what happens next because this is very important. After the angel tells them the good news of Easter, then the angel gives the women a job to do. In fact, the angel gives the women a position of, of leadership, essentially, because the angel tells the women to go and preach, go and announce the good news of the resurrection to the other disciples. And not just to the other male disciples, uh, or excuse me, not just to the other female disciples, but, but to the other male disciples as well. Um, uh, so in effect, you know, the angel is, is telling them, hey, you get to be the first preachers, ladies, of the resurrection. And in case we miss that point, I think this is interesting that the angel says something else right after that. Um, in, the, in the Greek, in the original language, the angel says this word, edu. And edu means something like, whoa, or look, 
or behold, or pay attention to this, right? And for some reason, that word actually gets dropped from the translation that we read today. Not exactly sure why the translator decided to, to drop it, um, but it's there. It says, whoa, or, or pay attention. And then the angel goes on and says, I've given the message to you. Why would the angel say that? Of course, the women already know that the angel just gave them the, the message, but the angel wants to emphasize this. I've given the message to you. Well, the story doesn't end there. Matthew tells us that the women follow the angel's instructions and they go off to tell the other disciples about the resurrection. But along the way, before they can get to the other disciples, they meet the risen Jesus. Now let's recap real quickly here. So who was it who was the first to go to the tomb? It wasn't the male disciples, it was females. Now who was the first to hear the good news of Easter? It wasn't the male disciples, it was the female disciples. Now, who was the first to lay eyes on the risen Jesus? It wasn't the male disciples, it was the female disciples. And what does Jesus tell them in this interaction? Well, Jesus repeats what the angel had told them. Jesus himself now commissions the women and he says, don't be afraid. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. Note the masculine there. He's talking to females and he's saying, go and tell my brothers. That's a big deal. He says, go and tell them that I'm going into Galilee and they will see me there. Uh, a little later in this very same chapter, we get what's called the Great Commission this very famous passage where Jesus sends the disciples out into the world to, to spread the good news, to make more disciples. Um, but before the Great Commission, we see here there was this, this first commission, right? And this first commission was directly to Mary and Mary, that they would go and share the good news with the other disciples who would then help them to carry that out into the rest of the world. So my point with all of this is that we see in significant ways Jesus is challenging and, and rejecting a lot of his society's assumptions about the roles of women. In radical ways, Jesus is affirming the dignity of women. Jesus is elevating the status uh, of women in ways that are so deeply countercultural. And as we look at the rest of the New Testament, um, what we know is that Jesus' followers paid attention to this. And they picked up on this and they actually carried this forward. You know, we get early church leaders like the Apostle Paul. And this is important because, you know, the, the words of Paul have sometime, sometimes been taken out of context and misapplied to support the restriction of the roles of women. But it was the Apostle Paul himself who said this. He went around preaching this, that in Christ, there is no male and female. Think about that. In Christ, there is no male or Female. In other words, Jesus has erased the hierarchy of men over women. Like, this, is, this message is unheard of. Nobody else was talking this way. Nobody else was, was thinking this way in the first century. But the followers of Jesus were. The followers of Jesus were. And in fact, uh, even people outside the church, even people outside the Christian faith, noticed that that was a characteristic of the early church. Uh, as Christianity began to spread around the Roman Empire, one of the most common critiques of Christianity from outsiders was that, oh, that's a, a woman's religion. That was a put-down that was used. It's a woman's religion. Why? Well, because so many women were flocking to Christianity in the ancient world. So many women wanted to be Christians because of the ways that the church empowered them and gave them a voice and gave them status and gave them dignity and even gave them roles within the leadership of the church. And so it was dismissed as a women's religion. And if you know much about the history of Western philosophy, if you know much about the history of uh, the development of, of Western political theory, then you know 
that one of the big reasons that we now take it for granted that women are equal to men, at least in theory, right? We've got a long way to go in actually implementing that. But one of the reasons that we now see that as a self-evident truth traces its origins back to Jesus himself and the example that he set and the difference he made, the trajectory that he set and the movement that he sets into motion. The movement that he sets into motion. So, so here's the bottom line for us today. Why uh, do we fully include women here at Kindred Church? Why do we include women in leadership here at Kindred Church? Well, it's because of Jesus. That's the short answer. It's, it's, it's because of Jesus. And, and here's what this means for you. Uh, whatever your gender is, however you identify, whether you're male, female, trans, non-binary, like whatever, however you identify, your gender doesn't restrict the roles that you can play in our church. Uh, we see your gender, whatever it is, uh, as a gift and, and not as a, a limitation. And I want each and every one of you to know you are included. You are included. And that's just one of the ways that we're trying at Kindred Church to be inclusive like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and, and loving God, uh, we are so thankful to you for your love for us, for your commitment to us, um, all of us, God. But we're so grateful that you liberate us from the kind of boundaries and barriers and, and hierarchies that society often imposes uh, upon us, Lord. Uh, we're thankful for the example of Jesus today and the ways especially that, that he empowered women, that he set this trajectory of greater and greater inclusion and, and, um, and empowerment of women within his movement, Lord. We're thankful for the, the early church and the ways that they carried this forward and, and all those who have gone before us in the Christian faith who have continued to, to advocate uh, for this. Sometimes, it, it, even though they were in the minority, um, nevertheless, God, there's, there's been this persistent current of people who've been adamant that, that you call women to be leaders. And, and we're so grateful for that. We're grateful for all of the women who are involved here at Kindred Church and the, the powerful ways that they're making a difference in the life of our community. God, we celebrate all of this. We give you thanks for all of this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, friends, just a, a couple of quick things here for us before we go. First of all, if you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you. If you'll click the connect link in the description, um, fill out the form there and, and I'll uh, reach out to you later this week. Look forward to saying, hey, if you're local, we'd love to see you in in-person worship. You can get the details about how to do that on our website. It's kindrednc.church. Um, and finally, be sure to click the announcements link in the description. That'll keep you engaged and involved and, and up to speed on all the different things that we've got going on and, and the ways that we're trying to help you plug in and, and stay connected with God uh, in this season and, and beyond. Um, well, with that, friends, remember that we love you and we hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Thanks for tuning in. If this message was meaningful to you, consider sharing it with a friend who might also find it meaningful. To support this ministry, to get involved with Kindred Church, or to learn more about us, check out our website, kindrednc.church. We hope you have a great week.